Okay, hello there, and welcome to End Credits here on CFRU 93.3 FM, CFRU.ca, Guelph Campus and Community Radio. I'm your sometimes lost at the beginning of these shows host, Adam A. Donaldson, and joining me today is... Tim Phillips. Tim, and uh, you're back post-summer vacation. We are now officially in September, and uh, we are all in fall mode. Are you in fall mode? Yep. This is where the hard work begins, Adam. (laughs) <laughs> for the show or for you personally both both this is yeah september you gotta you gotta f- focus again that's nose right. to the grindstone that's right yeah, yeah. all the all the uh, the the uh the movies trying to jockey for a place on our year-end list is coming out so uh, away we go. End Credits is a local movie show for local movie fans. We're here every Wednesday at 3 p.m. to talk about the latest in pop culture and review the newest movies, which this week will be a movie about movies, and it's a comedy, and it's called Official Competition, which you can now stream on your favorite video-on-demand site from YouTube, Google, Apple, Amazon, wherever. For the first half of the show, um, and I feel like, uh, you know, we're talking about a movie that's about making a movie uh it seems apropos to talk about movies that were never made and uh this was actually uh the idea for this blossom from tim discovering uh a, a concept trailer online uh what trailer was that again tim it was winnie the pooh blood and honey mm-hmm. which i think they've made the movie for it yeah, I think it's a, kind of like a teaser. It's uh, it, it, I think that is coming soon to a theater or probably more likely a, a shutter near us. Um. <laughs> yeah, and when people talk about movies that ruin their childhood, <laughs> I think if I watched that, it would ruin my childhood. Because, yeah, like so many people, last week I saw that trailer and I was just just gobsmacked. I was like, what, what the heck's going on <laughs> <laughs> you know, and I guess it's because Winnie the Pooh and the characters from that story are in the public domain. Mm-hmm. So someone has gone and made a slasher movie mm-hmm. where uh, Winnie the Pooh is the one slashing along with Piglet and some other characters mm-hmm. um, because Christopher Robin has neglected them, abandoned mm-hmm. them, mm-hmm. and now they've all gone feral. Mm-hmm. And uh, yeah, that really disturbed me, but it's kind of... <laughs> <laughs> the tra- trailer because i grew up like with winnie the winnie the pooh right like i read all the storybooks uh, uh watched all the tv shows movies mm-hmm. i think i had a winnie the pooh like stuffed toy mm-hmm. um just like a lot of people right mm-hmm. and so that gets pretty disturbing when you take a childhood character like that and um turn them into you know jason from friday the 13th Um, you know you know what's curious about that trailer is that someone clearly bought like a poo mask or designed a poo mask uh that looked like the the disney character but then you get the piglet character and he's got like tusks like a warthog he looks like (laughs) bebop from teenage mutant ninja turtles it's yeah kind of weird that's that was a weird uh a weird deviation but yeah yeah and like the costume for winnie the pooh in that movie (laughs) is just all tattered and (laughs) it's just like they got in a 
bargain bin or something. So yeah, if, if it had been the chubby, gentle Winnie the Pooh and he's still stabbing people, that would have been even more disturbing, I think. <laughs> so they've kind of missed their mark there if they really want to disturb people. Um, but yeah, the, the underfed, feral Winnie the Pooh, still disturbing. Um, but, you know, like it disturbed me. And then part of me thought it was pretty funny as well. Mm-hmm. And there's one part in the trailer where Winnie the Pooh just stabs somebody and you don't see it coming just out of nowhere, just stab somebody. Mm-hmm. And it was kind of like a jump scare. And I was laughing at the same time. Mm-hmm. Um, so it could be, could be funny, but I think over the course of 90 minutes or however long it is, I'm sure it will outstay its welcome. Mm-hmm. Um, but, uh, yeah, so yeah, I watched that and, and then, and then you came up with the concept that we talk about great movies that have never been made. Mm-hmm. And I wasn't sure if you're bringing that up because you feel Winnie the Pooh, um, <laughs> blood and honey looks like a great, great movie or if, it, <laughs> or if it was more like they actually spent money to make this when they could have made a million other other movies. So I wasn't sure which direction there, but I think uh, it's, I think it's all of those things because I mean, for every like idea, like blood and honey that gets executed, pun intended. Um, there are a million ideas that never see the light of day, even if they're like kind of slam dunks. Um, the last thing I'll say about blood and honey is I'm very interested to see it. I do wonder if it might be a thing like, um, oh, what was that movie that, the guy who made it you know sneaked into disneyland to i think it's escape from tomorrow if i remember that correctly it's like this black and white movie about people who are basically trapped in disneyland and they sneaked in the cameras to make it um so i mean that it's an it's an interesting idea but i uh that that movie escape from tomorrow was not great but Mm -hmm. i guess i guess we'll see all right well Let's get to our list then. Uh, so we each prepared three picks. So Tim, you get to go first. Um, what's a great movie you wish had been made? Yeah, so I went on some sites to really get my head around this. And then I found one of the first ones I found that caught my eye was <laughs> Sylvester Stallone's Edgar Allan Poe movie. Apparently, it's the first screenplay he wrote. So even before Rocky, he wrote a screenplay about Edgar Allan Poe. Mm -hmm. And he's been trying to get it off the ground since the 1970s. So for like 40 or 50 years now. Mm -hmm. And I think one of the problems was he wanted to play Edgar Allan Poe. Mm -hmm. Um, Mm -hmm. So that's just... It's a red flag, yeah. Yeah, he kind of gets in his own way a bit, right? Like, Like Rocky was was a great movie. It wasn't the greatest movie ever, but it was a great movie, great screenplay. You know, the guy obviously has some intelligence. Um, oh, he's know, got he talent some, for sure. Yeah. Some talent. Yeah. But I think his oversized ego gets in the way a lot, right? He's got mm-hmm. like this Donald Trump size ego <laughs> where he's like, I'm going to play Edgar Allan Poe. So, but then it's kind of goes back to that Winnie the Pooh blood and honey trailer. It's like, Part of me would like to see him succeed uh, and maybe he shouldn't even direct because I don't know if he's the best director, but maybe his mm. screenplay sees the light of day and it becomes just this great Edgar Allan Poe biopic. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. But then part of me 
would like to see him try to act today <laughs> as as Edgar Allan Poe, and just just see how just see how that that works out. Um, just see sort of like the pretension and uh, everything just come to light. Uh, yeah, the, take thy beak from out my heart and, and take thy form from off my door. <laughs> yeah, it, it would be awesome. Yeah. Um, but I think the joke would work quickly. I th- I don't I couldn't sit there for two hours and watch, you know, Stallone, you know, write the telltale heart or something. Um, yeah. But it, it, it is his dream. He said it's his, it was his biggest dream to get this made. And he's still is still clinging to that. So, I mean, it's good, a dream for him. It's, it's a dream shared by a lot of, like Michael Jackson wanted to make a Poe film. Um, there are a lot of Poe heads in, in Hollywood. Um, and then they actually made a Poe film with John Cusack, um, which kind of tanked. So it's, uh, and I did actually see it. It's called The Raven. It's not great. Not yeah. great. Yeah. Well, Sylvester Stallone could say I'm better than John Cusack, right? Could- I mean, if, <laughs> if that's how you want to measure yourself, uh, go for it. Because uh, uh, John Cusack is kind of more famous now for crap posting on Twitter than he is kind of for acting. But um, it, along a similar vein of Edgar Allan Poe starring Sylvester Stallone, uh, my first pick is so crazy. It would have been awesome or it would have just been so crazy. It's terrible. And I don't know which way it would have gone. Uh, but the movie is called Christ Killer, uh, or perhaps it would probably be marketed as Gladiator 2 colon Christ Killer. Um, it's, <laughs> they were trying for... <laughs> <laughs> that doesn't sound it. like... I can see why it wasn't made, given the title. <laughs> Wait for it, though. Uh, they, betr- they were trying... like Because Gladiator was a big hit, so they're trying to make a sequel. And the initial idea was to do something kind of straight, which would be to follow the, the Spencer Treat Clark character uh lucius who was the uh connie nielsen's son in the film uh joaquin phoenix's nephew so he it would be about sort of his journey of discovery trying to find out uh about his father who died before uh the events of gladiator uh in 2006 though uh, at russell crowe's request i would add they hired nick cave uh as a nick cave and the bad seed nick cave (laughs) And this was after he wrote like a screenplay of the proposition, which is a, a really great film. And I encourage everyone to see it. Um, but the, he wrote the proposition. And so Cross, Russell Crowe was like, well, you write screenplays now. You should write Gladiator too." And Nick Cave was like, okay, it's called Christ Killer. It's about, <laughs> <laughs> it's about Maximus in purgatory. He is resurrected by the Roman gods to kill Jesus Christ and his followers um, because they are gaining power and momentum for their religion and thus sucking power and influence from the old pagan gods. Uh, So yada, yada, yada. Uh, Maximus ends up killing the son he didn't know he had, question mark. But anyway, the, the gods curse him with immortality. And the last 20 minutes of the film, are you watching essentially immortal Maximus fight through time. So you see him in the Crusades. You see him in uh, <laughs> World War II. You see him in Vietnam. And then it ends with him essentially in a general's uniform in the Pentagon. So it, it, in the end, there's this message that Maximus is still what, like, essentially, I guess, I, I don't know how much uh, credit I'm giving to Nick Cave on this, but I think he essentially 
uh, makes Maximus the god of war in the end because he was fighting wars for 1500 years. Um, so, I mean, it's crazy. It's nuts. Um, Russell Crowe was like, <laughs> I think I think Russell Crowe was amused. His quote about the screenplay was like, uh, I don't think so, mate. Um, <laughs> 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 which, which is kind of funny. I mean, he speaks to Russell Crowe. He's like kind of amused by it, but he realized, I guess, kind of how unmarketable it was. But uh, Ridley Scott, not a fan either. Um, I, you know, Ridley Scott does sometimes occasionally talk about Gladiator 2, like it's going to happen. It's, it, it's probably never going to happen. But still, I have fun imagining, uh, you know, opening day, summer 2008, maybe, while going to watch Gladiator 2, Colin Christ Killer. It, it's an it's an amusement. <laughs> yeah, can't see can't see the marketing campaign for Christ Killer. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, it's 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 one of those things where like the title and people protesting it would be like the selling point, like you know Kevin Smith's Dogma. Yeah. Uh, you know, which famously Kevin Smith went out and protested Dogma and was interviewed by a TV news crew. So um, oh. that that was <laughs> that's kind of fun. That's cool. Yeah. but yeah it would it, it did not get made for obvious reasons uh or to quote russell crowe i don't think so made but it <laughs> has nick go. cave written any other screenplays since then or yeah he did kinda... yeah he did lawless i think he, there's probably some unproduced ones but you know yeah. lawless was the other one that got made so i mean it's he, he's not a bad he's not a bad writer he's pretty good i just um I don't think his sensibilities were right for Gladiator 2. At least what they wanted to go for was Gladiator 2. <laughs> he wasn't thinking box office when he was writing that. No, I don't think so either. Anyway, uh, what's your number two? Uh, my number two is David Lynch's Ronnie Rocket. Yes. Which he was uh, supposed, that was supposed to be his follow up to Eraserhead in the late 1970s. Mm-hmm. And he talks about it a lot. You read in a lot of interviews with David Lynch, he'll reference Ronnie Rocket almost like it's been made like he's <laughs> he's he's really into it he's still into that universe you can go get the criterion yeah yeah <laughs> and yeah and it's about a one-legged detective who enters another dimension mm-hmm. and gets stalked by a three-foot tall dwarf who controls yep. electricity yep so that sounds good to me <laughs> <laughs> no i i i i like I definitely like David Lynch for sure. And uh, young David Lynch in the seventies, that probably would have come across really well. Um, I'm not the biggest fan. I tried watching again, the twin peaks movie, not a huge fan of that, but I'm a big fan of a lot of his stuff, especially Mulholland drive and blue velvet Mm -hmm. and Eraserhead too. I think are some of the best movies like ever made. So Ronnie Rocket, it would have been great if he could have slotted that in mm-hmm. after um after Racerhead. Uh yeah, cuz he's he's a wild man, right? And uh yeah. Yeah. And that was kind of like right at the hint. It's like he David Lynch comes up at a time when just like just at the end of like the new Hollywood auteur era of of the 70s is like over and then he comes out with a racer head or the elephant man was it elephant man then a racer head i think so no it was a racer head and an elephant man. was it okay well yeah. both i mean both are kind of like more symbolic of like the 70s but they come out like right at the cusp of the 80s and so he he kind of gets lost in um 
in in sort of the the rejuvenation of sort of like the studio system in the eighties where everything is about bang for your buck. And uh, Ronnie rocket is probably like the best example of, of um, you know, it probably could have gotten made five years earlier, but yeah. And then he, then he made Dune, which was a, a flop for him. Yeah. But then he was able to make blue velvet, like mm-hmm. on a low budget, mm-hmm. like a lower budget than what he had been doing, but he got free creative reign. Right. And then when he had free creative reign, I, I just think that's, that's just such an amazing movie. And I imagine Ronnie rock, it would be up there too. Cause a racer head, like that's just him. That's like a labor of love. Right. Mm-hmm. It took him years to make a racer head mm-hmm. and he's artistic. He, he, you know, he went to art school. He's a painter. He is real artistic, um integrity about him mm-hmm. so it would have been nice if he could have completed that one as well and i don't think you get blue velvet without dune i mean say what you want about dune but i like someone thought hey we can hollywoodize uh david lynch by giving him this big star wars looking thing and then having him make a star wars looking thing and uh and then he makes dune and everyone's like oh maybe we should leave david lynch alone <laughs> <laughs> so <laughs> let him do his own thing yeah. yeah it's like he can do let, let him do let him do his own thing um my second choice uh another kind of sort of goofy uh from from the realm of the goofy let's say um the sequel to beetlejuice that never happened beetlejuice goes hawaiian um <laughs> everyone was on board with this uh so winona Ryder was going to come back michael keaton was going to go come back tim burton was going to come back uh daniel waters um was sort of one of the earliest people working on the screenplay he wrote heathers of course so like this was this was you know kind of ready to go in like the 90s tim burton coming off batman could basically write his own ticket um the studio wanted him to do sequels he wanted to go off and do like edward scissorhands and nightmare before christmas um Mm. but the plot um is basically the deets family which is um the the winona Ryder character she was the daughter of of jeffrey jones and Catherine o'hara and they move to Hawaii, uh, I presume, to get away from their haunted house. Um, but they end up uh, in the process, because I don't know if people remember in Beetlejuice, uh, the Jeffrey Jones character was like a businessman uh, who was like kind of burnt out. So I guess he finds uh, his groove again. They go to Hawaii to build a resort. Uh, turns out the resort is on an ancient uh, burial ground uh, belonging to the indigenous Hawaiians. They, re- they awaken the spirit of Kahuna who starts, um, I guess, uh, poltergeisting about. And so they are left with no option but to summon Beetlejuice. And from what I understand, the whole thing ends with a surfing contest. <laughs> and if you th- That's great. I mean, if you think, if you think Tim Burton's surfing contest, uh, one of Tim Burton's like earliest kind of like, you know, self-made shorts. Like, I don't know if he was a kid or if he was, this was when he was like at USC or whatever, but he made a a short film about like a disembodied alien head um, in a surfing contest. So this is something that is, that was like in the water. Cause I guess, cause he grew up in Southern California too. Mm -hmm. Um, This, this whole thing of like, what is this going out in the sun and having fun at the beach that people here are so obsessed with? Um, <laughs> yeah. you, you can sort of see Tim Burton standing there, like in dark glasses and <laughs> in his goth clothes. Yeah, and, yeah, in a dark, like a thick, dark coat, watching people like sun themselves on the beach. And 
in uh you know southern california but so it, it, it's this little weird little oddity um i do worry because if you go back and watch the original beetlejuice beetlejuice is kind of a side character so i wonder if they would like hoist them to the forefront um mm-hmm. and i wonder if that would end up kind of spoiling spoiling things i don't know it, it just it, it tickles me to wonder what this would look like and i mean again this is like the gladiator 2 thing you keep hearing <clears throat> tim burton being asked about well what about beetlejuice too what about beetlejuice goes to Hawaii? and he's like yeah i guess i could work on it <laughs> but <laughs> you know i i don't think his heart's in it i think we're like a number of years too late although i i would be kind of interested to, like with winona writer um you know now i guess almost 40 years out from beetlejuice you know doing a doing a sequel to Beetlejuice with like a grown up Lydia who, you know, maybe is convinced that um, every, the, the events of the first film were all in her imagination. And, and then maybe Beetlejuice comes back. That could be interesting. Beetlejuice mm-hmm. goes Hawaiian. Definitely not going to happen much to my regret, but um, Hey, we still have, we still have the abandoned screenplays, which are all over the internet. <laughs> yeah. It's too bad. Like beach blanket bingo meets Beetlejuice. Yeah. <laughs> I think that's what they were thinking. They could have Beetlejuice still could have been a yeah supporting character and just had like this mm-hmm. surf surf movie, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. All right, that brings us to our number threes. Yeah, my number three, um, pretty popular choice, and until like I think 2020, Quentin Tarantino was talking about doing the Star Trek movie. Hmm. Um. Uh, which he took uh, inspiration from an episode from the original mm-hmm. Star Trek. Mm-hmm. And when you think of Quentin Tarantino doing a Star Trek movie, you're kind of like, that's kind of weird, right? Because <laughs> he hasn't done any science fiction um, that I know of. Um, and you can see him just as a joke t- uh, saying, oh, I'll do a Star Trek movie. I know he's a big, he's a big Trekkie apparently. So mm-hmm. Mm-hmm might have just been sort of aspirational, but not really something he was going to going to do. Um, but then when you learn more about what the the episode that he wanted to sort of adapt and make his own, it, it was an episode that takes place. Uh, it's the 17th episode of the original season uh, where the Enterprise travels to a planet mm-hmm. that has an Earth-like, 1920s gangster culture to it Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. so you can definitely once you once you get that frame of reference you can see how quentin tarantino could have fun with that and you know how he could write the bulk of it or work with a writer that might be a reason why it didn't get made too is he was talking about like coming up with a story but having someone else write the screenplay Mm. um where i know he's you know he's so talented at that you'd think you'd want him to write the screenplay Mm. but um, you can see how that could really play in his wheelhouse there, um, with all the gangster dialogue, the violence, mm-hmm. um, he could still have all that and then have the flourishes of the science fiction of Spock pinching a gangster's neck or something, you know, <laughs> he could, he could still, ha- he could throw that in there, but it would still be playing to his strengths. So, and I know a lot of JJ Abrams was on board. A lot of people were on board mm-hmm. to make this, um, it might still be on the table, but Tarantino said as of 2020, he's not interested anymore. Mm-hmm. And he famously said that he, he only wants to make 12 films total and he's almost at that number. So mm-hmm. it looks like he wouldn't want Star Trek to be his last film. 
Mm. But he is a huge fan of the reboot for Star Trek. He's a huge Chris Pine fan. Mm. Um, he loved him as Kirk, and he's loved him in some other movies too. So it would have been interesting with the new cast from the reboot doing this Quentin Tarantino, um, Quentin Tarantino's idea. <laughs> that that would have been that would have been cool, you know. But then another thing, and I on some of these sites I was looking on movies that haven't been made mm. is. So many movies haven't been made because the director wanted to give them an R rating. Right. And it's like a property that they want PG 13. So you think with uh, Star Trek, you know, can, how bloody can he get? Right. Um, <laughs> <laughs> you know, right. It's kind of like when he it goes back to Winnie the Pooh, uh, Blood and Honey, right? Yeah. Like yeah, that's yeah. got a specific audience, right? Mm-hmm. That's going to be on Shudder. That'll just be, but like Star Trek people are going to want to go to the multiplexes to see that. Hmm. And if Tarantino has, you know, cutting off Spock's ear and talking <laughs> into it, <laughs> I, I don't think, uh, I, I don't think that's going to fly. So um, it's too bad. He's not involved, but maybe something from what he came up with. will uh, we'll make it to the screen. So it's, it's not dead in the water yet, but unfortunately it doesn't look like he'll be directing a Star Trek movie. Uh, anytime soon, probably, probably ever. Yeah. I have to yeah. confess it, it. I was intrigued when he like said he wanted to do a star Trek and then they actually like, okay, let's like, do, like come up with Quentin Tarantino's star Trek. And then when I heard it was like a big screen adaptation of a piece of the action, which is an episode I like, I like that episode a lot. It, I, I, it's a guilty pleasure, but mm-hmm. um, it just seemed like the most obvious sort of, launch point for a quentin tarantino star trek to essentially do like a big budget r-rated a piece of the action remake mm-hmm. that that did not uh that did not you know make me even more excited to see it. that kind of put that idea in the back of my head but anyway but what uh, if they cut off spock's ear i mean <laughs> <laughs> better question mark <laughs> um <laughs> Uh, for my number three, I actually cheated. I put two, but it's from the same director, so it's okay. Um, David Fincher, um, who has like he has a whole Wikipedia page uh, dedicated to projects of his that never happened, but these are two that I find the most intriguing. Uh, one is The Black Dahlia, which is an adaptation of the James Elroy novel about the famous murder in L.A. in 1946 or seven. I can't remember exactly which year. Um, that eventually did get made as an incredibly mediocre Brian De Palma movie. But yeah, uh, yeah. yeah. Uh, Fincher wanted to do it as kind of like a prestige miniseries, like five episodes, kind of like bring in a Hollywood cast. I mean, that that sort of thing, sort of thing would be a slam dunk now uh, with the streaming wars. But um, at, at the time, no one really wanted to fund that. So uh, I, I think that I, I hate saying it would have been better as a TV show, but I think that might have been one of those cases because it's such an uh, there are so many interesting facets to the Black Dahlia case. And the other is Torso, which is a, a graphic novel or it would be based on a graphic novel by um, Brian Michael Bendis and uh, Mark Aldrinko, which is about the torso killings in Cleveland in the 1930s. Um, Elliot Ness was hired as essentially the police commissioner of Cleveland. And so it was kind of his first order of business to catch this person who was um, killing people and carving them up and throwing them into this area of, of Cleveland, this kind of uh, skid row area of Cleveland. 
and uh, the, the case remains unsolved to this day. Elliot Ness kind of left Cleveland in, in sort of the midst of his failures to make an arrest. He ran for mayor, uh, didn't get elected. So it's an interesting story. Uh, both those are interesting stories, like both, you know, 40s time period. And we know that Fincher can do that. If you look at Mank, which I it's a fun movie. It's not one of his greatest, but you know, he really captures the time period well in, in Mank. So that would have been um, interesting to see, of course, uh, Fincher director of seven and Zodiac. Um, so that's in his wheelhouse too. Uh, Torso is still in development. Technically they have Paul Greengrass uh, directing. You have Brian Hegland uh, who wrote LA confidential as the screenwriter on that. So that, I mean, so it still could be interesting. I'm not hundred percent sure of Greengrass as director, but uh, Torso is an interesting story because it's like the flip side of Elliot Ness. Um, all, pretty much every movie you see about Elliot Ness is about this upstanding, upright, uh, uncorruptible hero who took on and defeated Al Capone. But in reality, Elliot Ness was like kind of a shameless self-promoter who, um, you know, was big on kind of these extravagant media friendly arrests and you know he blazes into cleveland and's like yeah no problem i will i will solve your serial killer problem and he he failed although um famously someone asked him about the torso case when he was running for mayor and he said well he said well that case is closed and it's like well how is it closed you never arrested anyone so there's some there's some question about whether or not he had a suspect and whether or not he could uh he had the evidence to arrest that suspect so again intrinsically fascinating deconstruction of a american icon in a way that's never been done before david fincher great american director um could have been great uh may still be great we will have to wait and see yeah it could have been when you look at zodiac right Mm -hmm. that's that's a great movie that he did and like similar where he probably had a suspect there, but never got arrested. And I yeah. think he's, he's really good at those and like seven really dark sort of serial killer mm-hmm. fair. I wasn't yeah. as big a fan of Mank, but um, yeah, but I think he can. Uh, yeah. I think that would be a great movie for him to direct. Yeah. With green grass, it might, might not be as good, but it's too bad. Fincher. It's not doing it, but it sounds like an interesting, I've never even heard, heard of that before. So it sounds mm-hmm. interesting. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. The, the graphic novel is easy to find if you want to check it out, but uh, yeah, it's, it's a shame. Yeah. Anyway, speaking of making movies, we have to review official competition. That is next. You are listening to end credits here on CFRU 93.3 FM, CFRU.ca, Guelph Campus and Community Radio. i 
Hola. ¿Y esto? Pues esto se trata de incluir un elemento externo que aumente un poco la tensión, que aumente el miedo. Simboliza también la opresión que viven estos dos desgraciados, ah. el, el peso de la ley. Yo no necesito eso. No es una necesidad, Iván. Es un ejercicio. Venga, si solo son cinco toneladas. ¿Estás seguro? ¿Estamos listos? Okay, that was a clip from Official Competition. It's the new film from writer and directors Gaston Depar and Mariano Cohn, and it stars Penelope Cruz, Antonio Banderas, Jose Luis Gomez, Mano Solo, Irene Escolar, and Oscar Martinez. Uh, I didn't know what to expect putting this on, but um, it's <laughs> one thing I'll know. It's it, it came out at Venice, and I think it was at TIFF too this time last year, and it's interesting to watch this movie through the lens of like, it's a film festival movie. You have these three people. Well, I mean, there are more people involved in making a movie, but the movie's about these three people who are like essentially making a film festival movie because yeah. it's all this talk about like, it's the craft and art of acting. And we have to like really get deep, deep into the characters. And of course the, the source material is so like ridiculously soapy. It's, it's kind of a, like just it's, I don't know if it's the sharpest uh, Hollywood satire since the player, but it's definitely pretty sharp. It's pretty merciless, which I enjoyed a lot. Yeah. Yeah. I, I don't, it's probably not as sharp as the player, but no, it's, no. it's a very, I'd say it's a very sly satire. Mm -hmm. um, it has a lot of laughs in it. Mm -hmm. um, but like you're saying, it would be interesting to watch that at an actual film festival because they're going after the whole, the pretense of those film festivals. Right. And these actors and directors who are, um, who, yeah, are so s serious about the craft yet stab each other in the back to, to get the critical acclaim and, and, and they're the petty jealousies that take place during <laughs> it, you know, and, and, you know, it, it could come across pretty obvious that you've got, Oh, the celebrity actor. And then you've got the stage actor and, they butt heads but i think this movie does a lot of interesting things with those with those conceits there and i think antonio banderas is really funny as the like celebrity like the sort of like the spanish tom cruise in a way right and <laughs> oscar martinez as like the stage actor and mm -hmm. then penelope cruz as the director i thought she was spot on as the director and um yeah, she's just really serious about her her craft, very eccentric. Mm -hmm. um, but then when, you know, and she seems like she has integrity throughout. And then when it comes to, <laughs> comes to, I won't give anything away, but when it comes to the sort of the twist in the movie, she has no mm -hmm. problems stealing an idea, taking it as her own and uh, <laughs> making the movie, right? So that yeah, she yeah, can yeah. get the acclaim from the film festivals, so yeah she is so good um i because i didn't know she was uh, playing the director but um like to have penelope cruz who, who is um you know an enormously gorgeous woman who could have easily just been cast as like that and to instead like no she's director we're gonna give her this like wild kind of crazy 
red hair. Um, you know, she's going to dress in like parachute pants, and always be wearing sunglasses and listen just, to vacuum cleaners and stuff. Yeah. <laughs> listening to like the, the leaf blowers. And yeah. There's this really great scene where she's like talking through this like corrugated tube. Um, and she's just like saying words and like she get into the one end and then listening to it come out the other end. She's like, she's very like audible focused for some reason. Mm-hmm. Um, but she's just like laying on the floor, you know, t- talking into this tube. And then her assistant comes in and like, okay, the actors are ready to begin rehearsal. And she's like, I just can't get a minute to myself. <laughs> <laughs> like, yeah. What were you doing? Exactly. <laughs> That's her preparation, I guess. Yeah. It's just, it's so bizarre, but it's like, so it's like, so how so fits into our I, ideas about like these self-centered creative types um which i mean if you're in creative fields you definitely know these people although there are, there are like clear exaggerations but not a lot of exaggeration and yeah the, the banderas part um i think he's what's interesting is that martinez banderas and cruz were all executive producers on this so i do wonder how much input they had in terms of like the character uh, work because it, it really there, there's a scene where Martinez talks about uh, you know you could go to the United States go to Hollywood where you'd just be treated as like essentially like set dressing you're a bit of like Spanish color I think it's a, a literal phrase he uses like to to enhance the the film's appeal internationally and, and you know I do wonder if that's a bit of Antonio Banderas um, speaking truth there because I, I mean in the 90s that's kind of that's kind of what his career was it's like we have this hot guy from Spain who can act um, let's put him in like assassins or you know uh, the mark of Zorro um, and, and it's, it's not till he kind of like goes back to Spain or he, you know working a lot with Pedro Almodovar that you know he kind of is able to peel that away again and, and be taken seriously as an actor. It's, it's through these like Spanish films, especially working with Almodovar um, that, you know, people are saying, Oh yeah, Antonio Banderas, capital A actor. Mm-hmm. Um, so I, I do wonder if he, this is a chance for the three of them, especially Cruz and Banderas who've been in the Hollywood system to sort of look back on, on those experiences and sort of lampshade those a little, I think there was a lot of that in the undercurrent. Yeah, for sure. Like Antonio Banderas, like I remember he was in those Almodovar movies, um, Mm. Spanish language back in the 80s. Right. Mm -hmm. And then he became famous because he was truth or dare Madonna's movie. She had a crush on him. Right. And she really wanted to meet him. Yeah. (laughs) And then he became, yeah, like this Spanish, Spanish flavor to add to these movies. And he made some decent ones here and there, right. With Robert Rodriguez and stuff like that. But sure. He never was, never was like this serious actor. It was a lot of action movies. And yeah, so he's really, you know, really, you know, back home, he's finding, finding his groove with this. And it's funny that in this, uh, fittingly, he's playing a, uh, sort of the celebrity actor who does action movies and, <laughs> and he's in the serious movie. And, it's funny Oscar Mar- Martinez is going like all method getting into his character and Antonio Banderas is just like 
I don't, I don't need to prepare, you know, just, yeah, yeah. I, I just, I read the, I say the lines, I memorize the lines and I say the lines, right? Yes. And, that's a great line at the beginning yeah. where the, the three of them are meeting and Penelope Cruz talks to um, Martinez and it's like, what do you think about your character? And Martinez like spews this, like, like this inner knowledge of like this man and has his loneliness and, and how he's like, trying to live this life of quiet dignity. And then she turns to Banderas like, well, tell me about your character. He's like, there's nothing about my characters, only what's on the page. Because if, if it's not on the page, it doesn't exist. And like, he's essentially like saying the character doesn't exist. And you have, you have this, <laughs> and it just sets the stage so beautifully. Because then there's another point later on where um, they apparently have like nine rehearsal sessions and Martinez is like, oh, geez, I wish there were more, like just so we can like work through this. And and Bandera says like no, not we we only need to rehearse as much as necessary, and to me nine is necessary. Like that's it. And mm-hmm. um, it's like it's it's almost completely an afterthought. Um, this this idea of like getting deep inside that. But again, the the treatment of this book, which is essentially about two brothers, one is um, you know an ordinary person, the other one's like a drunkish lout who gets in a drunk driving accident it kills both their parents and you know so they have this like split where you know one of the the one brother goes to jail and the other brother is like kind of out living is this like sad pathetic life and it's about whether or not they'll reconcile and of course there's a twist um <laughs> in the end and i there's this, the scene where like uh, penelope cruz is ex- explaining the plot to the producer they, they cut out the ending i was like oh they're not showing the ending so there's a twist so although the twist is kind of predictable um what they do with it in the end and i I don't want to spoil it either because it's kind of it's kind of like a hold your breath moment when it happens it's like they just did what (laughs) (laughs) because it's like it's this movie about uh not that it's like kind of light sunny kind of comedy but there's a point where it just goes dark. It's just like the lights are completely out now. And um, you don't get that unless it's this, this silly twist at the end of this silly book and it ties the whole thing together. Um, but yeah, it's it's really funny how it just like mocks the process. It's kind of bizarre. <laughs> yeah. And the self-importance of it. And, oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. And, and what sets off the whole process for the movie is that this a multimillionaire businessman he's he's worried about his legacy mm-hmm. um and he wants to do something special and you're like okay what's he what charitable endeavors is he going to get involved with and he's like i'd like <laughs> my name on a bridge yeah yeah and i'd like to produce a movie <laughs> yeah <laughs> you know, you know? yeah <laughs> i want to make a motion picture i want to <laughs> finance a motion picture <laughs> it's like it's just like the prestige nature and the fact that it's called official competition. And I looked at the movie poster, it has like the laurels you get at like a film festival. And mm-hmm. it kind of, it fits really well with that. Just sort of like the self-importance of the whole, whole thing. Mm-hmm. They're poking fun while at the same time, you know, Antonio Banderas, Penelope Cruz, that is th- their career for, a, especially Penelope Cruz. She's been in a lot of, Mm-hmm. you know critically acclaimed film festival movies and stuff like that so it's kind of fun it's fun that they're poking fun at it but it's something that, that yeah. that's their career at the same time you know 
I mean, she's yeah. essentially Almodovar's muse. Um, like she's kind of leads. Like it, it's very rare that she's not leading one of his movies. And I mean, it, it's also interesting in terms of like digging around the movie. Uh, apparently, this is like the first time Penelope Cruz and Antonio Bandera have like shared more than like a couple of minutes of screen time. Although they've been in a lot of movies together, they don't typically share scenes. So this is kind yeah. of like a a Spanish like heat moment with um, <laughs> you know De Niro yeah. and Pacino, <laughs> but you get you get a mo- you get a whole movie with Banderas and Cruz playing off of each other, um, which is fun. <laughs> yeah, and it's a lot of fun. There's a lot of laughs in it. Um, mm. I watched it on Apple Plus, but I think this would be fun in a repertory theater if you do find it. I don't know if the bookshelf's going to play it or somewhere else. Yeah. Um, I think it'd be fun to see it with an audience because there's definitely a lot of laughs throughout it. It's one of those things where it's like a film festival audience, like people who get the jokes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It wouldn't be as good in... um, It's a little inside baseball. Cineplex, maybe. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) But, you know, it's not just sort of like, like there's really great staging in this. There's it uses like dramatic silences so well there's when they're when they're rehearsing first thing and they like they're literally starting on page one and there's this in this scene um the martinez character gets a phone call that the police uh, are telling him that his parents have died in a drunk driving accident and so he he, he makes a thing that he picks up the phone and says buenos noches and and cruz is like saying again and he goes, Buenas noches. And she's like, again. And it gets to the point where every time she says again, he takes this pause. It's like, am I really having to do this again? <laughs> yeah. Like, just say Buenas noches. He's like, yeah. why am I saying Buenas noches so many times? And she's like, you have to, uh, like, you're, it's the middle of the night. The police are waking you up. You have no idea why. Um, they're trying to tell you something. You're tired. And it's like, it's like, I need the right kind of. Yeah. <laughs> crazy for this one line is Buenos Noches. And again, it's the first day of rehearsal. Yeah. yeah. And, and it's just, it's the, the way Martinez just like takes a beat after she says again. And you're <laughs> yeah. <just> like, <sighs> well, the funny thing about that is it, it it's ridiculous, right? Yeah. You're like, okay, this is ridiculous. Mm-hmm. But part of me watching it felt like his performance was better once she explained it to him. Maybe oh, I'm just yeah. reading. So- yeah. yeah, you see it. So it's like it, there's a method to the madness, right? There is so, method. Yeah. yeah. So it is actually helping. Her direction is is spot on and helping. But when you're at first, you're like, okay, this is ridiculous. And you've seen comedies like that before where it's whether it's a movie director or somebody who's just like a megalomaniac who's just sort of like, ah, do this, do this, do this. But it actually works here. So it actually does validate, you know, that type of that type of direction and care when it comes to, to filmmaking. So mm. it's, it's really funny, but at the same time, it, uh, it actually rings true. Like that would, would help the performances. No. And it's, so. I mean, there's also a little bit of sexism in there too, because I, it, you, you kind of get this feeling, especially as they're going through um, the rehearsal process that if it was a male director, there might be a bit more latitude, but, um, like the idea of like the female auteur is still kind of it, like a relatively new concept too. It's just a bit of that. It's just a little hint that you could kind of read into it as, as they're, they're kind of going deeper into the rehearsal process. It's like uh, it, it's so weird for 
um, or so unusual, I guess I should say, for a woman to to be like this this like mercurial about the process that they have a difficult time accepting it. Um, th- there's a bit of that in the film too. Yeah, there's probably a bit of that as well. And it actually with the rehearsal, yeah, the rehearsal scenes are so good. That's yeah. what most of the movie is. Yeah. And it, it, it remind me like drive my car, the Japanese movie is mm. such long scenes of rehearsals in that too. It seems like a lot of these international films are really focusing on the craft of, of this, mm-hmm. um, the craft of acting and the rehearsals. And it's, fun to see like pull back the curtain a bit and see what goes into it although this isn't hyper realistic by any chance any (laughs) by any means but it it does like yeah it shows you know the care that goes into it which can be funny when somebody cares so much about something that can come across a bit uh, trivial that Mm -hmm. there's a lot of humor in that so I thought it did a great job like delving into that and just like people are so hyper-focused on something like they're going to save the world with this little <laughs> melodramatic movie, right? It's like little, so- <laughs> this yeah. little soapy piece. Yeah. It's, yeah. I, I, I wonder if the, the Penelope Cruz character is kind of aware of that too. It's like, I'm taking these two guys who think they're like ultra serious actors. Cause there's a scene where she makes them rehearse under a rock being like this large rock that's being held by a crane and it's like teetering and you hear like the, the stress of the crane. It's like, cause they're trying to read their lines. And then you find out um, it's actually this like <laughs> prop construction. It's like this styrofoam rock or something. And uh <laughs> what's what's funny oh, yeah. is what's yeah. what's funny is that Felix and Ivan, the, the two acting characters, they're like incensed. It's like, why did you do this? And then in the next scene, uh the, the Banderas character is out like lifting the rock for you know a post for Instagram. It's <laughs> you know, it, it just it's it's absurd. The absurdity is fake. There's an and and oh, they, they get mad about the absurdity. But then they just embrace it and it's just like, hey, watch me lift this heavy looking rock. It's up, up, up to the gram. And then there's this whole. <laughs> there's, so there's this whole commentary. It's like just how, you know, how serious can you be when you can just turn on a dime and, and just be so trivial too? it's, um, you know, it really makes you wonder. <laughs> well, and there's that other scene where they're duct taped to their seats and they, um, yeah, LP Cruz destroys all their award, their precious yes, awards, their right? precious awards. And yes. <laughs> the thing that's really cool about that is the uh, Antonio Banderas character, right? He has all these awards, like it'd be like, I don't know, they're the, they're the entertainment awards, right? Yeah, he's they're got like Golden Globes. Golden and, Globes, yeah, and yeah. yeah. Um, people's Choice, the yeah. Spanish equivalent of People's Choice Awards and stuff. Yeah, like Goyas all, and stuff like that, yeah. Yeah, he has all these awards. And then, uh, and but then Oscar Martinez, his character, the, you know, the serious stage actor, he's got one awards for charity and, and mm-hmm. stuff like that. Mm-hmm. But at the same time, it shows that it's, their ego for both their egos driving their love of those awards. Right. So, yeah. Yeah, yeah. So even though it's just Spanish people's choice award or whatever it is, or it's some, uh, some really important charity at the same time, it's because they keep these for their own ego. Right. 
and she's trying to do away with that and it's it's hilarious when she does and she even destroys her palm door right yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> which, which imagine seeing that at the con film festival right <laughs> That would be that would be that would be fun. Yeah, I think she even torches her golden lion, which is the the Venice Festival Award, and this premiered <laughs> at Venice. So I, I'm just like picturing like judges or like board members watching the film, and <laughs> it's it's kind of funny. But you know, I I do love the the Ivan character because there's this, there's also a scene later on where they're like making arrangements to fly to location and, and things, and he's like saying, "Do not I." Look, like whatever we eat is fine. Just do not book me a first class ticket. I refuse to accept privilege. <laughs> it's, it's just crazy. It's like, it's like, don't fly first class. Like, who's going to turn down first class? Well, Ivan is. So, um, yeah, it's, but it's also like, I, I do love the little turns because um, after that scene where they, they destroy the awards, um, it's this like down shot looking at the whatever this is, this like shredder that shreds stuff. Um, somebody's throwing like a book into it to watch it get shredded and then a laptop and then in other things. And it turns out it's Ivan. And he, it, like after this is after the trauma of watching his awards being destroyed. He's just standing there destroying other stuff. And then he leaves and the camera's fixed on this like shredder thing. And then you just hear the creak, 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 creak of the, the janitor coming out to like clean up after all of this destruction. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So it's, you know, I, I can't remember that was before or after the whole thing about like, I will not accept like privilege or status, but it, it, you know, that's another kind of thing that lampshades all of this. It's like, well, you know, you have no problem like creating a mess for this poor person to clean up <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah, just for so your own amusement. <laughs> Yeah, there's so much biting satire with the Ivan character. Yeah, mm -hmm. I there was that scene as well where him and his wife are listening to like the um oh like an yeah. audio installation or something love it. or love it. Yeah, yeah, and they're like, oh, that's really interesting beat there. So I <laughs> I can't remember if it was like I think it was somebody hammering like a it picture in a wall or something. Yeah, in another another apartment or yeah it was yeah. their neighbor neighbor probably like hammering a nail into the wall for a picture frame or something yeah that's just that like the pretension um in that scene is just so beautifully illustrated it's 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 a lot of fun this movie was a lot of fun i have to say yeah i'd, I'd say yeah I'd see it while you can on streaming and if you can if it's showing in a theater i would go see it i think there'd be a lot of laughs there Yes. Yes. This is definitely yeah. kind of like the a, a right crowd kind of thing. But uh, yeah, if if it's with the right crowd, I think it would go down huge. But uh, we have to uh, pack up our own stuff here and head out. Uh, there are no rehearsals in radio. Keep in mind. So uh, you get it fresh right off the bat. This anyway, what happened. we this improvise is, this whole thing here. That's that's exactly right. And if you want to listen to us again, you can find it at our website endcreditsradioshow.com. Download it from the Guelph Politicast channel every Friday at Podbean, or you can get it through your favorite podcast app at Apple, Stitcher, Google, TuneIn, and Spotify. When you're on Spotify, you can find the playlist for almost all of the music that you hear on End Credits here. Just search for End Credits on CFRU in your Spotify app. You can find us on social media on Facebook at End Credits Radio Show and on Twitter at End Credits Radio. And Tim, you are on the internet where precisely? Find me on the internet, uh, Flash in the Deadpan on social media and big sh uh big shout out to t swift 
Yeah. T Swifty. I, I think we really need to support Taylor Swift because I think she can really go places. She really yeah, I needs think, our support. I think if we give her a shout out on the show, she's yeah. just going to get to the next level. That's that's exactly right. She needs the end credits bump. Uh, I, will, <laughs> I will be back here on CFRU tomorrow at 5 p.m. for News and Politics on Open Sources Guelph with Scotty Hertz. We have an election to cover, so tune in. Uh, you can find me on Twitter and Instagram at Adam A. Donaldson, or you can go to guelphpolitico.ca. And you can stay tuned for more great programming here on CFRU 93.3 FM, CFRU.ca, Guelph Campus and Community Radio. We shall return next Wednesday at 3 p.m for another edition of End Credits, and we will see you then.